Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Teresa, hey, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian. Hello, Blake. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. I am looking forward to this conversation because we're talking before we started recording just about this is a heavy, difficult thing to navigate and different people navigate grief and trauma differently. I think you have a really healthy, helpful message that you're sharing. And so I'm always thankful to have the opportunity to share that. Can you kind of just tell us a little bit about your experience, like what's happened in the last three years and what's brought you to where you are today? Yeah. So I have two children and my oldest son, Andrew, was a a corporate pilot and he was moving through the ranks in the pilot world. You know, it's all about the type of hours you get. And he was moving toward his goal of becoming a UPS pilot. So you kind of move around where the job is. So he and his family had moved here from Ohio, where he'd had his previous job. And a position came available here close to home, which was like, yay. First time he'd really lived at home since he moved away and went to college. So he was going to be kind of the main pilot for this uh, corporate organization. And the plane had been equipped with some equipment that was supposed to make it fly faster and higher. And he took off from the airport one Friday morning on November 30th and the plane, the mechanical failure happened on the plane and those devices failed and he had likely no idea what happened to him, but he crashed 30 seconds from, you know, after the, after he he kind of flipped upside down, couldn't gain control of the aircraft and the plane crashed uh, four minutes after takeoff. So he Mm. He and also souls on board did not make it that day. So it was a devastation that was beyond words because I didn't know that he is. We had been together the evening before, uh, had a little family get together, and I did not hear him mention that he was flying out to Chicago that morning. I didn't know he was in the air. And I was home from work that day, and we had had some painting done in the dining room or in my kitchen area. So I was kind of scrubbing up the floor after that. And I heard my phone ring and I went to get it. And it was my daughter-in-law because she had, Andrew's wife, she had gone to Chicago where her parents were from for a family birthday. And she and Andrew were going to meet and have a little date while Andrew was there you know, over the weekend. And then they were going to fly back on Monday. And of course, he never made it to the airport. And she told me that. And of course, you know, being a mom, you're like, well, I'll go find out what happened. You know, it never occurred to me that he was not here any longer. Mm-hmm. And when I pulled out of the driveway to go to the airport, I got a, I had missed an alert on my phone that a plane had gone down in Memphis, which is just a few miles from us. There were no survivors. You know, I couldn't accept that. So I went to the airport. I ran through the hangar asking, you know, 
trying to find out if he really did fly out that day. And then when I got the news where the location was, I called TV station and said, give me the address. I drove to the site. And of course, they, you know, they wouldn't let me on the site. But it was one of the hardest things I've ever done as a mom is to get in my car and drive away because I knew I'd never see him alive again. And, you know, they, it was in a really kind of remote area in a field. So it wasn't accessible quickly. And there was a ton of stuff going on there. So, you know, I, it was the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. Cause I knew when I drove away that I'd probably, I'd never see him alive again, but they, you know, we waited for three days because they, they couldn't confirm his death. So it took three long days to wait for confirmation. They announced the other passengers on the plane, but they did not announce him until Sunday. So it was like three days of living in the utter darkness and just trying to figure out how to survive and hope that maybe, 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 maybe he survived. But that's how my grief journey began was on that day. Well, I'm so sorry. I can't fathom that. And I think anybody that's a mom, whether of little kids or big kids, I'm like, yeah, I'm a little bit loud. I would be like, you're going to let me on this scene. Like <laughs> I would have been, I think any, any and all of us would have been doing the same thing. And so then in like that three days, I can't fathom what like pain and trauma are hard enough. Limbo somehow manages to make it worse. And so then you're faced with, you know, the truth and the reality that your son is gone. I know we don't necessarily like they have time to talk about the entire four years, but at some point, something changed where you started kind of turning back and offering help and hope and healing to other people walking through similar things. You have a devotional finding hope and healing in the midst of grief. What was that turning point? What did that look like? Well, the first hurdle I had to get over, Blake, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and have been for, you know, since I was a little girl, but I, I was extremely angry at God and bitter because how could he let this happen? Right. Andrew's a believer. He's supposed to be protected. How, you know, you lied to me, you betrayed me. You're not who you say you are. I mean, there was a really, really dark struggle that I went through and I'm just thank God for praying Christian girlfriends because they prayed me out of a really, really, really dark place. and after, oh gosh, I mean, I never stopped seeking God. I realized that now that I go back and look at, and I recorded Mm -hmm. a year's worth of my journal, but I never, even in my anger at him, it's like, I never gave up. I I had to know like, why, why? And, you know, I've, I've gotten some pushback from that, from, you know, people in the Christian circles that say, well, you you shouldn't question God. I'm like, "Oh, oh, no, 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 no. That's not what the scripture says. No. this, the scripture says, you know, in, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we often hear this verse that people say that some things are hidden, that the Lord has things in hidden places that you, you're not going to understand. However, the second part of verse, that verse says the things that's been revealed to you, you own that. That's your responsibility to take that and go with it. So I feel like personally, if I didn't go through that time of questioning God, I wouldn't be where I am now. Absolutely. Because it was during that time of questioning everything that he's taught me so much. But I think that the big turning point for me was the only place I couldn't pray. I couldn't read his word because I was so angry. But I would open up the Bible app 
and I would listen to the book of Job over and over and over. It's like, I I know there's got to be an answer in there somewhere. And I have no idea how many times I did that. It was just like, I know there's an answer here. And one day I wish I would have recorded this in my journal because I don't know how long, how far down my journey I was. But one day I heard where, you know, I say, I say that he let me lament for 38 chapters because Job and all his friends, the whole first book of the book, 38 chapters, they're lamenting. But in chapter 39, God shows up in a whirlwind. And I had heard that many times, but that day, Blake, that was the day that the Holy Spirit wanted me to hear it. And he said to Job, brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. Well, I was kind of slumped over. I remember it so clearly. I was kind of slumped over in a chair and I sat up and I was like, what? What did he say? And I began to listen to that. And through that, you know, I didn't hear the audible voice of God. And in my spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I've let you lament for 38 chapters. And now it's time for you to start being thankful for what you still have in your life. And I was very resistant. I was like, mm, nah, no, thank you. Don't yeah, have no anything thanks. to be. Yeah, no, thanks. I have nothing to be thankful for. My son is dead. But the Holy Spirit is the hound of heaven and he would not let it go. And then one night I just got down on the side of my bed and my knees and I said, okay, here I am, Lord. What do I have to be thankful for? Just really kind of sarcastic and just, you know, angry. And he just started filling my head. And I began to verbalize that, Blake, and and it went on for a long time. And when I stood up from that, it was like my face and my snot was running everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I just like had this huge and I just I woke up and I felt like I'd been purged of of Mm -hmm. bitterness when I stood up from that. So it was it was a huge turning point for me. I asked God for forgiveness, not for asking the questions. Yeah, I don't feel like that was wrong. Right. But but the attitude that I had during that time. But he never left me. That's what I always want to convey to people. During that whole time, he never left me. He was right there. And it was all in his timing of when he wanted that me to hear. He had that jump out at me like I had, you know, like I had a megaphone or something. So when I heard that, it just really changed my journey. And then I became like the potter in the wheel, I became the clay in his hands. And he began to teach me, you know, in Hebrews chapter seven, verse 19, I love that work piece of scripture there, because it says that his hope is strong and trustworthy, and it leads us behind the curtain. Mm. It's like, you got VIP access, Blake. It's like, he allowed me to lament and, and he, I feel like he pulled me inside his inner sanctuary and he taught me things that, and I listened and he would take me to scripture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned, I learned things that, you know, I had this expectation that Andrew was supposed to be protected, but he wasn't. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in, in Ephesians, we are told that when we accept Jesus, we're sealed with a promise. And that promise guarantees eternity. It's the only place in scripture I've ever found the word guaranteed. So what I've learned is that protection is offered in God's sovereignty. Right. Yeah. In eternity. Well, and I think, first of all, I think a lot of people, myself included, that are listening may not have lost a son in a plane crash. But I mean, I've had that 
that come to Jesus with him of having an attitude, like having an attitude with God, you know, for my traumatic story that people that listen knows my now seven-year-old almost died when she was one and was in intensive care for like seven days on like life support and all that kind of stuff. I remember being like, what are you doing? Why she hasn't even gotten to live a life. We haven't gotten to have her for but a year. And after kind of having that come to Jesus and being made aware of like my bitterness and my attitude, then I was like repentant for the attitude and for like my doubt and my questions. And I feel like I had the same encounter with God where he was like, the questions are fine. And honestly, I fully believe that God is big enough and has big enough shoulders. He can handle my attitude. Is it the attitude I want to have when I approach him? No, but it, it didn't impact who God is. Me having my own struggling and grappling, like sometimes I kind of feel like God's okay with that because on the other side of that, like you said, is this whole new experience with him and who he actually is. Do we want to walk through grief to get there? No, but it does go to show that like he doesn't, God doesn't waste anything. Like he doesn't waste our pain and our grief and our trauma. He uses it to make us look more like him. I, I could agree more because guess what? We're human and he knows it. Right. He knows we're human. So the frailty that comes along with being human, you know, one of the things that I would say to God was, yeah, your son died, but guess what? You knew he was going to raise in three days and I'm going to have to go 40 years without seeing my son. That was some of the conversations that took yeah. place between us. And I would say, I'm human. Don't you understand that? God, I'm human. Why don't you understand that I'm human and I can't, I can't take this. But what I heard was, no, you can't, Teresa. Right. But you can do it with me. You can do it with me. Wanted to take a second and make sure you knew that my flagship course for content creation and social media growth and management is going to open for registration on March 28th. This is a six-part course that is not just for content creators. It is for anyone who wants to leverage the power of social media and free marketing for their business, their ministry, their personal voice, and it goes through everything you could possibly need to know about showing up well on social media, being true to yourself, keeping God as the focal point, and being successful, monetizing, and growing. You can find out more about Run Your Race by going to thegirlnamedblake.com slash course. Join the waitlist. Don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Well, and I appreciate that you were that honest with God. I think sometimes we try to hide how we actually feel, which we can't do from him. But I I think that there have been seasons in my life where maybe I felt that way, where I felt the like, yeah, your son died, but but I wouldn't like, I don't know that I would have verbalized that to him. I would have like tried to like keep it like tucked away. And then what happens when you tuck stuff away is it like it just festers and gets like it grows a life of its own. Whereas like, as I've grown in my walk with the Lord and what I try to encourage other people is, is like, I don't want to be like flinging things at God, like ugly. But if I have something that's like stirring in me that I just want to like, that I feel like he and I need to have out, he's good with you. Like you're okay. He's okay. Like you're not going to change these immutable characteristics of God with your hard, sometimes ugly questions. I think that Sometimes that hinders our experience with him when we hold those things back. And you kind of, you talk about in your devotional that often grief, in grief, our feelings and our emotions can take over our minds. How have you kind of combated that with the truth of scripture? That's a great question because the battle that goes on. So, so the war is in your head. But when you're grieving, you you have this kind of rational side of you. And then you have this really, really, really irrational side of you. And the two are coming to meet in the middle. And the war is fought and won or lost right there. I believe that 100%. I believe that thought maybe you were a believer and you go through something like you went through with your daughter or went through with Andrew. You might just say, well, you're not real. I'm out of here. It's that constant, are you really real? It, it's like a fork in a road. I, mm-hmm. I had somebody say it to me one day and I, I agreed. It's like a fork in a road. You choose which way you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And for me, I thoroughly rely upon the scripture in second Corinthians 10, five, that tells us the way we demolish strongholds, we take everything and take it before the knowledge of God. So it's really, really difficult when you're grieving to think, have a thinking process. I really, I, it's hard to articulate that. It's like, you're just being bombarded with so much. It's really hard to like single out a thought, Yeah. but it's really important if you're getting, you know, you take that one thought and you say, is that a truth or a lie? Yeah. And you take it against God's word. What does God say about this? What does God say about me? You know, the guilt that often comes with, with the kind of grief, especially in sudden death. If you lost somebody like we lost Andrew, you know, there, there's no do-overs. There's Mm -hmm. no, let's go get this made right before they die. When people suffer loss from suicide, there's always things that you're going to, to have to work through. Mm-hmm. And so it's huge. The battle in the mind is huge, Blake. It's huge. So as a Christian, I don't even begin to understand how a believer walks through that and makes it. Because I love what you said a while ago, is that God knows it anyway. So whatever's going on inside of our hearts and minds, he knows it anyway. So why right. not verbalize it? To me, I would just get it out there. I just like, got it all out there so that we can work through it together. 
And the way I did it was one thought at a time. Yeah. You have to make those thoughts obedient to Christ. Yeah. And I think that that's applicable in all of our thought life, in grief and in sin and in what we believe that those one thoughts at a time for me, because I very much like live, I have like a lot of head game, right? It can just be one. That thing can spiral and make a whole world and life of its own. And yeah, maybe it just started as one, but it rarely ends up as just one. But when I am walking in faith and in faithfulness and in practicing 2 Corinthians 10 and taking those thoughts captive, then that one doesn't even have the opportunity to create a whole world of its own. To be totally honest, you know, your quote unquote one thought of, yeah, your son died, but you knew he was going to raise three months later, like smaller doubts or questions have led people to complete deconstruction. You know, I mean, that's just the reality. And so you battling those things out with the Lord, choosing to take those things on one at a time, I think it can sound simple. I mean, I think that's where the battles won is like not trying to take on the whole thing at once, but like moment by moment, one by one, taking those things and bringing them before the Lord and saying, okay, like, what have you actually said about this? And how can I de- like, de- like demolish this lie and replace it with truth? It's huge. And especially when you're grieving because you you're bombarded, like I said. So it's really difficult to focus on one thought, but often we do have that reel that runs in our heads, whatever it may be for, you know, whatever your situation is, whether you're grieving a loss by death, there is many, many ways to grieve, not just loss by death. You know, you, right, right. you can have loss of a marriage, loss of relationships, like you can go on and on. But that one thought that runs through your mind, you know, it's very important to capture it and say, all right, let's just break this down right now. And I'll tell you, Blake, too, I've had, you know, a considerable amount of counseling and I can't understate that enough. When you go through sudden death like we did, it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's way bigger than me. Yeah. And I've had a lot of help. When you sit across the aisle from somebody who can listen and then abstract those things out of your head and say, let's talk about this. That's a yeah. huge help in the right direction. It Absolutely. can't really be understated. Yeah, huge fan of counseling for everything, for all the things, all the counseling for all the things. Another quote that's in your book that kind of goes back to something you and I were actually speaking about before we started recording was that if we don't manage our grief, it will manage us. And we kind of were talking a little bit about sometimes the conversations surrounding grief that aren't the healthiest. What does that look like for you? One of the biggest I believe one of the most important things for a person that's grieving is to know their triggers. For me, for instance, that day that I got in the car and drove to the airport on the way up there, which the airport's probably, I don't know, five minutes from my house on the way up there. I still had the hope that Andrew was alive. When I drove out of that airport parking lot, the airport manager said to me, and and I'm an RN. So, and I worked in ER for many years. I ran up to the airport manager and he just looked at me and said, do you have somebody that can be with you today? And honestly, I fell to my knees at that point because I can't tell you how many times I've, I've said that to somebody that lost a loved one in the ER. I fell to my knees and I said, God, you, I can't do this. You've got to help me. I'm going to lose control. 
And, you know, as a mom, you're going to stay. I was going to investigate this to the very end. Right. You know, you're not going to tell me my son is dead without proof. So when I ran back to my car, that that period, that stretch of the road from me driving toward the crash site, which was about 30 minutes where I was, I had to pull off the side of the road because I completely lost control. And so when I would drive that, I couldn't drive that. Mm -hmm. I would have panic attack. So that's the reason. I think Facebook groups, if, if you're listening and you're a part of a Facebook grieving group, God bless you. Mm-hmm. I just per- personally cannot participate in those because I have my own triggers right. of things people say. It can't be predicted. No. You know, people are really hard on folks sometimes that try to comfort you because they say the wrong things. But here's the thing about that. The wrong thing might be for me, might not be the wrong thing for somebody else you right? because of, of the way we lost Andrew. So. I steer clear of those Facebook groups, even today, because your triggers are huge. And so what I have to say about that, if you don't manage your grief, it will manage you because those triggers are the real deal. And they're still triggers for me today. They're still triggers. However, some of the the tools that I've been given in counseling, I've had several different types of therapies, including EMDR. And so I, you know, I still can recall going like I did recall the events, but the emotion that overwhelmed me is not as severe as mm-hmm. it was then. Now, I so encourage people to reach out even to group therapy. I really promote a group called Grief Share and it, they're all over the country and you can yeah. just plug it in griefshare.org and you can pull up a group near you. It's like a 13 week program because even though it sounds intimidating to share your grief in, some, in front of somebody else, it's very, very, very therapeutic to be in a group of people that understand and get it. That actually get it. Yes. I love what you said about sometimes people who are trying to comfort get a kind of get can get a hard time because it could just matter. I think sometimes we have to just remember that it matters that they're trying. I've been on both sides of that where I've said the wrong thing and I've had the wrong thing said to me. And as the person grieving, like you get to make a choice that this person's trying. They're not trying to trigger me. They're not trying to like make things harder, but that's such wise advice of just knowing. Like I'm sitting here thinking about this as someone who's grieved, right? Like for me, Pacey, my oldest had a febrile seizure. That is what spiraled into her ending up on intubated and all of that. And so for probably four years after that, if she would even remotely feel warm from like playing outside in a Louisiana summer, like I was just starting to like hyperventilate and get super freaked out. And now like she's almost, you know, she's seven and a half and she just had a fever. And now I'm sitting here thinking, I didn't have a panic attack about that. But for a really long time, I had to manage that. Like I had to like say things out loud. Every fever does not mean she's going to have a seizure. And also like be really aware when she went and played outside that she was going to be warm when she came in. Now I'm thinking about it in the moment. I felt dumb doing those things. Like I felt like this is ridiculous. That's what we're talking about, though, of taking the thought captive. Now, right. you didn't have to use the word of God of that, but you are taught. You're saying, OK, this is the truth. Right. And this this is not the truth. Right. So I was managing my what I'm saying is I'm managing my triggers. Exactly. But I think that like for some reason, I remember feeling like that I would say all the time, I know this is ridiculous. And the people around me would be like, you watched tubes breathe for your kid. Like nothing's ridiculous. Like you're you're good. Like stop being so hard on yourself. So I just wanted to like share that for people who are maybe in the midst of it, that managing your triggers and managing your grief 
it's not dumb. Like that's not ridiculous. You're not being extra. You're doing what you need to do to put one foot in front of the other and move forward. I wish I could go back and tell like six year ago, Blake, like, stop saying this is dumb. You're doing what you need to do to like manage this. Here's the thing though, Blake, had you not done that, that feeds into that comment. If you don't manage your grief while you didn't lose her, you were still grieving because there was a potential that you were going to lose her. So that left an emotional mark on you. And when you don't manage that, it'll manage you. Like if you had not worked through that, that would have plagued you. So you're saying, Here you are now, and you realize you didn't panic the other day. That's the difference of managing your grief and not managing your grief because it will overwhelm you. This is how I explain it to people that, you know, I help mentor. It'll ooze out of you in every part of your life that you don't even realize any relationships with your spouse, your children, everywhere. It'll just ooze and it will affect your health. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You can't stuff that. You'll get all sorts of things going on inside of you, autoimmune disorders, all sorts of things are going to get out of whack. Your hormones, your cortisol, all of that is affected heavily by what goes on right here. So it's, it's huge. If, if there's one thing that I could say to somebody on the other end of this podcast, that's listening, that's grieving, please get help. Yes. Please get help. It makes the difference of whether or not you survive or you don't. Yeah. And not only survive, but like thrive. I can remember so many times being like, yeah, maybe I'll get through this, but I'm always going to be this like broken, scared, scarred version of myself. And I mean, I've EMDR, I was seeing two therapists at one point. Like, I know that God used that to not only like help me survive it, but be able to like live a full life on the other side. And that's something that you do. How can people connect with you if that's if they're kind of looking for that mentorship or that, you know, the, that guidance? So I just started a podcast. I just I just released it on February 14th, which congratulations. You know, it was it it kind of was timing was right in that time zone. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna that's out of my love for Andrew. I'm gonna release it on that day. So, so that's available. It's, uh, you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts and it's um, Teresa Davis, the grief mentor. And then I have a website that I have some resources on some free resources for folks that are grieving. And that's just thegriefmentor.com. Okay. And then you can find me on social and it's in Facebook and Instagram. And it's just, the is not on there. It's just grief mentor. And okay. Teresa Davis, you can find a note of that as well. Perfect. I will link to all of that in your show notes as well. Thank you so much for not just here, like taking the time to share Andrew's story and your experience, but just, I love getting to talk to people who have kind of turned around and are doing that, like helping other people walk through what they've walked through. So thank you so much for that. I do want to say one thing because yeah, absolutely. this is something that I feel like gets me out of the bed every day. Our loved ones are not in our past. Our loved ones' memories are in our past, mm-hmm. but our loved ones are in our future. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's huge because I'm going to get to spend eternity with Andrew. Yeah. And so that's huge. You know, we, when you grieve, you often look and it's everything is in the past because that's when you had him with you. Yeah. But if once you get in your place in your grief journey, when you can realize that they are all, they're in your future. They're not behind you. They're in front of you. They're just, they just went on, you know, a little sooner than you did. They're in front of you. 
So it's it's the hope that we have to look yeah. forward to. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Blake. I enjoyed our time together. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.